I, um, I told the kids when we went, I said, you know, I, um, my purpose in coming is for y'all to get God, but my other purpose in coming is I come expecting things too. Um, I come with my list of things that I want God to do in me while I'm here too because I'm in three days of intense worship, of intense prayer, of intense warfare. Warfare. It's warfare when you're up at them altars and you know there's this, there's that group. There's that group. At, you know, if you've ever been to Mars Cirilla Convention, you know that group. And, um, and they won't come up messing with your kids while you're there. So I'm trying to get God, and I'm looking up, and there's some boy over there putting his hands all over a girl, acting like he's going to pray for her. But no, that's not God. Get away from my kids. Get away from my kids. So we've got we to gotta, we gotta fight hell for ourselves and for, your, and for the kids while we're there in the presence of God. You know, they, you know they're not. Mm. Everybody's not sanctified. That's the truth. It was worth every minute of it. Um, the uh, the very first night that we were there, um, the uh, Pastor Casey Doss, who um, I always love to listen to because you know he, uh, I feel not it's not just my name. I feel kindred with him. He he married into the ministry in the same way I did, <laughs> and so uh, and he's the pastor of the church there, and so I always I love to hear what he has to say. Um. He, he shared a message that that he called Fixer Upper. And um, and it's really been in me ever since then, and, and God's been kind of working that that word in me, where he, he told the story of Noah, and, um, and the purpose of God making the ark and flooding the earth and everything was because God looked at the world and he said, it's wicked, and I need to destroy everything and start all over again. And he said he was reading it, and he said, well, God, why did you save Noah when it would have just been easier to hit the reset button on the whole thing, start all over again? He said, you know, people say it took 120 years for Noah to build the ark. He said, you know that if you had just destroyed the whole earth, you could have had a whole new earth and a whole new Adam in six days. It would have been easy. We could he, you know, he said, what if God just said, well, I just had a bad batch. I'm just going to start all over again. We're going to try this whole thing again. He, and, he, and he knew he could look and see that three chapters later, Noah was going to be drunk and naked, acting a fool. Why didn't he just destroy Noah with everything else? And start all over. And he said something that stuck with me. And he said, that's because God isn't just God. A God can decide I'm going to destroy it all and start all over. But a father can't. A father won't. A father says, I have one redeemable piece left in this creation. And I'm going to save that one redeemable piece because it's worth whatever hell comes after this, however much these people are fought, however many times they leave me and come back and leave me and come back and act a fool and get right again. It's worth 
saving the one redeemable peace. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, God, for saving one redeemable peace. Thank you, Jesus. You know, what God was speaking to me, um, and Pastor said it a, a week or so ago, she said, you know, it's, it's time for us to not talk about dying all the time, but <laughs> to talk about victory. The victory you get after you've died. And I see that God's moving us into a place. You know, you can only plant seed for so long. The seed can only die in the ground for so long before it comes forth and begins to produce some fruit. And I believe we're moving into the time when we're going to begin to produce fruit. And it goes along, you know, I'm, I'm just going to read it again. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, I wasn't... I'm really sure if I was going to say it or not, but I, but I got to keep putting this vision that God gave me out there. And you know, it's not an age thing because I talk about the next generation sometimes, but I'm not, I've started changing that and calling it the next wave because it's not about age. It's just about this next wave of people who are rising up to take the mantle. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your, uh, your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions and also upon the servants and the handmaids. In those days will I pour out my spirit and it shall come to pass in verse 32 that anybody who calls on the name of the Lord shall be delivered for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. Amen. And so what God said to me, Pastor, is that as this next wave comes up and picks up the vision in this in verse 32, that there's no part of the vision that's come before that's going to be lost because in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. The work of the vision is always, always, always going to continue, always going to go forth. The work of 100% victory 100% of the time is not going to be lost because a new wave came to pick up the vision. You know what I see about picking up vision is that God puts us in a vision, and when we're here, he put us to become a part of the vision. We don't talk about the vision. We don't have Sunday school class on the vision, so we can all say, that's nice. Look at the church that I'm a part of that has a vision. And so that I can take that vision and I can put it inside of myself, and then that vision begins to reproduce after its kind. That vision reproduces itself in me so that when I'm out somewhere and somebody says, well, I'm afraid all the time. Or, I just can't seem to quit this sin. I can, I can say, I don't go find my pastor. That's not what I have to say. I can say, well, let's just talk for a minute and get down to the root of what, why do you feel that way? Because you know those feelings are just feelings. They're not, they're th that's not you. That's a spirit. So let's understand why the spirit's operating and get down to the root of it. And you can be set free today. We don't have to go yeah. and wait on Sunday morning. You remember when we used to drag our friends up on church on Sunday morning because we couldn't do it ourselves? But the day's here where this next wave is rising up to take the vision. Amen. So that we just go out and we work the vision everywhere we go. That vision is not only am I in 100% victory 100% of the time. But I can teach you to be in 100% victory 100% of the time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hands, O house of Israel." Now, one thing I've learned is that potters don't throw away their clay whenever it gets messed up. They reuse the clay. So, Jeremiah went down and he saw a revelation of who God is. When this potter was working on the pottery... He was making it, he was molding it into just what he wanted it to be. And he looked at it and he said, this clay is messed up. I'm working on this and it came out wrong. I'm working on this and it's got a crack in it. It's all got wobbly. Have y'all, I don't know if y'all ever tried to make pottery on a wheel. Me and Adelaide tried to do it. She got one of those little kid things, little kits where you can make things. And we worked and worked on that piece of pot, on that piece of clay. We got it wet, we got it dry, we turned the wheel over and over again. We could never do nothing with that thing. We made it over and over and over again until we gave up. We couldn't, make, we, we couldn't even make a little lopsided bowl. It just kept falling apart. But how many times, though, does a potter making that pot, making it, working on it, and... Oh, a little side, a little piece is coming off. It's a little bit lopsided. A little, I can maybe I'll just try to straighten that out. Oh, now I tried. To, I know because I tried it myself. But you can't just straighten it out. You got to start all over again. And he said, "How much more can I do it with you when I'm working on you and I'm working on you?" And then all of a sudden, something gets messed up in this pot that is my life. I messed up. I did it. I did something wrong. I'm marred. And then the potter doesn't say, ah, get rid of that. I'm going to try a different piece of clay. He says, no, I'm going to keep working on this piece of clay because he doesn't look at the piece of clay and say, like I said, when I was working on that little wheel with Adelaide, I said, something's just wrong with this. We're not doing it right. There's some this clay is too hard. I don't because I you know I'm not gonna say I don't know what I'm doing. I read the instructions. Something wrong with this one. Let's just throw this piece away. We're gonna start over. A, a, an actual potter doesn't do that. He keeps on. He'll just mold. He'll just stick it all back in a lump again. He'll start them wheels turning again, and he'll start raising it up to be something else. Whatever it pleases the potter for it to become. I am thankful. That God doesn't look at me whenever I mess up and say, ah, there, 
you know, this piece of pie, I'm just going to do away with this piece of clay, go get me another piece of clay all together and start all over again with something new. I'm going to work on this piece of clay. And do you know, when we look at ourselves, what we see a lot of the time is those Mars in, in our clay. When I look at myself, I see the failure. I see the areas that I did not serve God in. How, amen? That's what I see. And so what I, happens is I buy into the, to the lie that maybe God just isn't big enough in me to overcome all these areas. Maybe God isn't big enough in me to overcome sin. Maybe God isn't big enough in me yet to, for me to actually serve God and be used by God. Maybe he's not big enough in me. But you know what I saw is throughout the Bible, we have one example after another of people that God wasn't big enough in yet. John know Moses argued with God when he tried to call him. He said, not me, anybody else, anybody else, God. What if God had just said, oh, you're probably right. He said, no, I picked Moses. He picked Moses so much that he finally negotiated with Moses some and said, that's fine, you can have somebody else do the talking for you. But Moses is the one I called for this. He picked Peter. Peter denied him. And then he left the church. We forget about that one sometimes. We know about the denying and the the rooster crowing, but Jesus came back to life. Peter sees him. And then we find Peter, Peter went back to his old life. He said, I'm, peace out. I don't know what's going on. I'm going back fishing. Jesus had to go find him. Jesus was about to go to heaven. He had to go find Peter. Peter's done gone. Back to fishing. Then he plays raw religious with him. You know I love you, Jesus. You, you just know I really love you, but Whatever. I'm back here fishing. This is where you found me. Paul was a murderer. He was a murderer of Christians. He was a bad one. And God called him. And God called Peter. He didn't say, "Uh, you know what, Peter, you can serve in my church. You can be an usher or something because I know you're really not super committed. He said, Peter, you're a rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Peter didn't, could not possibly look in the mirror. And here's the wonderful thing is that he called him that before he ever denied him. And he didn't change his mind when he denied him. God called you to be the person that he put that dream that he put in you to be for him. That's who he called you to be. And it doesn't matter how many times... That you said, I think I'm going to leave. I think this is too hard. I don't think I'm good enough. It doesn't matter how many times you've messed up so that now when you look in the mirror, the only thing you see is, oh my God, I'm Peter, the one who denied Jesus. I'm Peter, the one who said, I don't have enough faith to keep in this walk. I'm going back to my old life. I'm Paul. I'm the one who just was a murderer, who was a liar, who was self-righteous and could never do anything right for God. That God had to strike me blind before I even bothered to listen to him. I'm Moses, and I didn't have enough faith. I'm an adulterer. 
And that's just all I know. I look in the mirror and that's who I see. How can I serve God in this mess that I'm in? I'm an alcoholic and I don't know how to fix that. I go home and I can't stop myself from looking at pornography on the internet. And I come back and I repent and I say, God, take it out of me. I want to be clean. And the next time I'm alone, I'm back doing the same thing over and over and over again. I have desires in myself that I can't seem to get to overcome. They keep pulling me back into sin. That's what I see when I see myself. But when God looks at me, he doesn't see those Mars. That's the reason when he's making that clay, he's making it. He knows when he, when he sees something that goes wrong in it because that's not the vision that he had for that piece of pottery. And so what happens? Squish it all back up again. Start the wheel going. I'm getting made all over again. Hallelujah. David, my God, David in the Bible, do you know all the things he did? If there was ever somebody who should be disqualified, it was David. Even if you've committed adultery, did you kill the person who was married to the person you were sleeping with so you could have them? Probably not. To cover it up, Jesus, he should have been disqualified. If God disqualified us for our mess-ups, David would not have been the king of Israel. Thank God. Thank God that he has not ever disqualified me. I'm thankful that God didn't say this piece of clay messed up too many times. I'm giving me another piece of clay. He's always going to keep rebuilding, always going to keep working, always, 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 always. Every time I call out to him and he says, oh, yep, this one's messed up a little bit. I'm, com I'm coming back over. We're going to make you right back into the way I wanted you to be. Amen. Thank you. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <sighs> I had a dream this week. Um, and in the dream, we were bussing up people to this side of the church right over here. We'd bus them up in a big bus, and we'd get them out. We'd open up them doors, and there was a river that was flowing right here at the altar. And we'd bring them in, and these people were filthy, covered in um, filth. They had demons on them. They were just attached to them, sucking the life out of them. And we'd, we'd get them in here. We'd have our whole prayer team up, lined up. We'd get them in there, and we'd dunk them in the water. You know, like you have those, uh, those old-timey like washing boards. We'd dunk them in the water. We'd scrub them real hard, and we'd get them up again, and we'd send them out that door. But they weren't all the way clean. We just scrubbed as hard as we could, and we'd send them on out. Still, had, still looked just a little bit cleaner than when they came in. And then the next day, they'd come around, and we'd bust the same load back in. They'd get out. They'd walk through the door. We'd scrub them as hard as we could again, and we'd send them on back out the other door. And after they had done that 40 or 50 times, you know, dreams, you can compress time. <laughs> I looked at them again, and I saw their clothes are so nice and clean, and, and I don't see all the stuff that was on them. As a matter of fact, I only see one little demon spirit on these people and it's that, it's that big I can just grab it and squeeze it <laughs> yeah. 
but that's the redemptive work of God. It's, it's, it's in our mind a lot of times that I get, I get on fire for God, I get right, and now all of a sudden I'm 100% saved, sanctified, and we are in the spirit, saved, sanctified, and delivered. But the redemptive work takes some time sometimes. God can really only work on like one, one or two things at a time in us or we will go crazy. That's the reason why we scrub, 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 and they'd just be a little bit cleaner when they got out. But thank God there was a little bit cleaner and they kept on coming back. Because what hope do we have really if we don't just keep coming back to the altar? Maybe I've been to the altar a few more times than you. And so I look cleaner. But I have to keep coming back to the altar. Or I will be lost and undone without God. And so that's why there's no condemnation. In God, because how many of us need to keep coming back to the altar over and over and over again? That's why we're all equal. There's not a big person and a little person. It's because all of us need the same thing. And that's just to keep coming back to the altar over and over and over again. Hallelujah. I'm going to read y'all scripture in Romans chapter 7. I'm starting verse 7. Now, one thing we had to remember here is that Paul is writing this while he's a minister of the gospel. And he says in verse 7 of chapter 7 of Romans, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So, he's saying, we, have, we hear law. We hear the law of God. We hear about sin. And the righteousness of that law actually arouses sin in us to make us want to sin. He said, actually, I had never even thought about lust until somebody tells me the Bible says not to. Well, I mean, let's just be real. And so now that's all I'm thinking about is lust. Hey, hey, I learned something new today. And in verse 8, he says, but sin taking occasion... By the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived in me and I died. Elder Barber said in Sunday school this morning that she has a resurrection problem. She's got so much resurrection life that her flesh wants to resurrect itself sometimes. But Paul had the same problem. How many of us can just, because uh, Paul, who wrote however much, two-thirds of the New Testament, however much he wrote, said, as a matter of fact, sin's always trying to revive itself in me. And so law, when I look at God's goodness, when I look at his holiness, when I look at how to live righteous, it actually works death in me. Because it arouses, it bothers and disturbs the sin that's living inside of me. 
And he says, for sin that was taken occasion by the commandment. So, so sin took advantage of the commandment of God, the goodness of God. It deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just, and good. So we're going to get through this, because it's Revelation. God established righteousness and holiness. And when I look at righteousness and holiness, I feel two things. I feel guilty and ashamed. And then I feel desire to go do the things that he said not to do. Amen? Let's just let's be honest. Those are the two things I feel. I feel guilty and ashamed, and then I want to go do it. And I'll prove it to you. How many of us We've ever been trying to serve God, serve Him with everything in, him, in us, and then we have a realization that holiness may be difficult. I'll make it a little bit closer to home because some of us are too righteous for this. Um, how many of us ever tried to, to go on a diet? And so you're on it for a few days, and it's so wonderful. You're so proud of yourself. You're doing it all right. And then on about that third or fourth day, there's nothing in the world that sounds better to you than a piece of cake and some pizza. Jesus. And you start praying over it. God, you know I can't live under law. You didn't call me to live under law. You said don't let anything be unclean that God called clean. Jesus, I'm going to pray over this food, but I'm going to eat this food, God. I'm going to eat it. Y'all know that's right. Because we put a law on our flesh. Now, have you ever noticed, too, that sometimes you just want a salad? And sometimes you can maybe look back and realize that I went five days and I didn't eat anything bad for me when I'm not trying. But when I'm trying, when I put a law on my flesh, my flesh does not like it even in the natural. And so I've realized sometimes I've been in prayer and I've just been seeking after God and I'll have fasted a whole day and didn't even realize it. But let me wake up in the morning and decide to fast. I'm going to be hungry from the beginning to the end because our flesh does not like law being put on it. So when we look in the face of holiness and righteousness, when we look at the things God called us to do, when we look at the greatness of the call, the seriousness of the need that God has, that God wants to draw out of us, the, the cost of a life that's laid down in prayer, the cost of holiness on us. When we look at that and our flesh says, oh, no. Don't you know that you have a job? Don't you know that you cussed out somebody just the other day? Don't you know the stuff that you look at on the internet just last week? Don't you know the desires in your flesh that you still have not overcome yet? Don't you know that the last time you tried this, you couldn't even make it for prayer for 20 minutes until you had to get up and leave? Don't you know that floor is hard? Don't you know that you have kids that need you? Don't you know that you have all these other things in life that are always pulling on you? Don't you know that you don't have time for that? Don't you think that God is a reasonable God and he doesn't necessarily require anything out of you that you don't have time for? 
Brother Robert once said, one time said, well, I, had, I realized I had time to watch TV. Elder Robert, sorry. Thank you, Jesus. And so we look at ourselves, and we look at the greatness of the lack that we see in us. And we say, I am never going to get there. I'm never going to be that holy. Maybe one day I don't even know how to get there. It's my hope that maybe one day I can do it. Maybe. But I can't ever get there. And then Paul went on to say the scripture that we all know. He says, the things that I want to do or the things that I don't do, the things that I don't want to do or the things that I find myself doing all the time. I can't even help myself. I don't even know what's going on in me. And in verse 21, he says, I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But then I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in our members. How many of us have a heart we just have a heart after God, but when we try to do something for Him, <laughs> when we try to live holy, when we make up our mind, I'm going to be at prayer all the time. When we make up our mind, I'm going to serve in the church. When we make up our mind, I'm going to be committed. All hell comes against us. And then we decide... I'm going to give up. It's too hard. Maybe try again next time. This, one, this round went to the devil. I'll give, maybe try again next time. But when God looks at us, he never, ever sees those Mars. He never sees all the trouble. He never sees us under our circumstances to where I can't get out, I can't have time to pray, and I can't do all these things. When God looks at me, when God looks at you, he sees the perfect vessel that he has a vision of, that he's always crafting, that he's always got on the wheel spinning and turning until, until it hits that perfect place and it becomes a useful vessel in the kingdom of God. And then, and then even if we mess up, he's going to start all over again. And be a useful vessel in the kingdom of God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So, so what do we do then in that situation? When that spirit tries to come and say you're just not capable how many of us have ever felt that i'm just just not capable how many times have you tried pastor cindy and you're just not capable you just obviously if you was going to get it you was going to get it by now Obviously, if you were going to be saved you'd be saved by now obviously if you could quit that sin you would have quit it by now obviously why do you keep trying to fight it? But my God, how many times, though, 
Let's just keep coming back, going through the door, and dunking ourselves at the altar over and over and over again. Because one day, one day, when we're not focused on our sin anymore, and we're focused on the greatness, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, that he has not ever one time said, this piece of clay isn't good enough for me. I'm going to keep molding and making this clay until it's exactly what I want it to be. And sometimes that can be a little uncomfortable because I wasn't willing to do it when I was working with Adelaide, but if that clay was too tough, just dig at it a little bit more. You just keep working on it harder and harder, but that clay was going to make what God wants it to be one day. Amen. He says in Romans chapter 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them working which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do. That's what, that is the law of sin. That is the law. It can't do those things. That is the truth. When the, the devil comes and tells you, you can't, you can't, you can't. You cannot. That is the truth. But, so what's the answer then? It's not just focusing on all the things I can't do and trying to work in myself all the things that I can do. It's the next verse. If you stick the next one up there, he says, so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, that all I have to do is walk after the Spirit, and your Spirit makes me righteous. Hallelujah. You all know that that's why there's no condemnation because when, as Paul is describing this, he's actually writing a letter to a church about his own struggle. He's Paul the Apostle. And he's saying, I, me, Paul the Apostle, am having a little bit of trouble right now. And my flesh wants to resurrect. My flesh wants to rise up. My flesh makes me want to do stuff and I find myself without even thinking about it doing the very thing I promised God I was never going to do again. Oh my God, who's going to save this miserable wretch that I am? That's what he said. Paul the Apostle. That's why he could go on to say no condemnation to us. Because if it was Paul, my God in heaven, how much more is it me? <laughs> how much more is it me, Jesus? Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, my God. When we begin to see that I can't make myself, the pot does not make itself. All the pot can do is just submit to the potter's hand. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. That's why he doesn't see our Mars when he looks at us. That's why he doesn't see mistakes when he looks at us. That's why he doesn't see failure when he looks at us. No matter what I see when I look in the mirror. And you may say, well, Pastor Casey, you don't understand. When I, you don't understand what I did yesterday. You don't understand the thoughts that go through my head that I just can't even control. The, the filthiness. If you could know 
if you just had a glimpse into the things that went through my mind, you would know that this mind cannot serve God. But God doesn't see your mind the way it is today. God doesn't see an adulterer. God doesn't see someone who's addicted and can't get over cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, whatever you're addicted to, pornography, caffeine. It doesn't matter. He doesn't see someone who's addicted to something and can't get over it. God doesn't look at you and see somebody who's so fearful that they can never overcome fear. God doesn't look at you and see somebody, see the person you see in the mirror who's someone who's a serial failure. Oh, my God in heaven. Oh, my God. When God looks at you, when God looked at David, he saw not just the king of Israel, but he saw the king who would be a forefather of Jesus Christ. When God looked at Peter, he saw the foundation of the church that we're still a part of that was gone on for thousands of years. When God looked at Moses, he didn't see a little runaway scaredy cat who ran from all of his problems and who was too afraid to open his mouth. He saw the leader of the nation of Israel who could lead them out of bondage. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your lack. He sees the vessel he's trying to craft you into. And the redemption of God never quits. It doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. It doesn't matter how many times you've tried your own thing. It doesn't matter how many times you've quit on God. It doesn't matter. What matters is that I keep coming back and putting myself down at this altar over, over, over again, over and over and over again until the work of God can maybe, hopefully, one day be completed in me. Because what other hope do I have, Elder Robert? What other hope? do I have if I don't just keep putting myself here over over and over again oh my God some of us are ready today to begin to lay down that life I just want you to invite you to come because that is our hope that I just lay my life down at this altar one more time, God. I'm going to be the person you called me to be, God. Hey, I'm not giving up because it hasn't worked in the past. I'm not giving up because I haven't seen everything you promised me come to pass yet. I'm not giving up. I'm putting myself before you one more time. I don't care how many times it takes, God. I don't care how many times it takes. I'm going to be the person you've called me to be. You are going to finish shaping this pot. You are going to finish the work you started in me, God. I don't care how many times I have to come back down here and say, God, I messed up again. God, the pot's smart again. Some of us have sought after the promises of God for years, and we ask God, is it ever going to come to pass? Yes. If I keep putting myself before God, if I keep putting myself before God over and over and over again, 